Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've breached it. So I want to welcome a special guest, a veteran MC, amazing lyricist with an unmistakable rugged voice and delivery who's responsible for tracks that captured the quintessential sound of the mid-90s hip-hop, the Incredible Nine. What's happening, Nine? How you doing, man? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate that. Oh, man, it's my pleasure, man. And, and, and before we really get started, first and foremost, I want to tell you that not only did I love the tracks that you were putting out in the mid-90s, as a matter of fact, I hosted a radio show for about 10 years, and I was okay. playing playing those tracks. But even beyond that, the one thing that is almost, it's ingrained in my head from 80s hip hop was your uh-huh. amazing promo for Chuck Chill Out, Deuces is Death. Yeah, not a lot of people are aware or familiar with that or knew that I was a part of that group. It was me, um, uh, Flex, and a um, partner of mine named Tito. Mm-hmm. We were um, kind of managed by Chuck at the time, so mm-hmm. that was our big shot to do that promo. Not too many people are aware that I was, I was a part of that. For people that know, it's almost like this story jam that a lot of people have somewhere on cassette you know like that cassette that has that yeah, those I mean, gems chuck used to chuck used to open up his show with it every indeed night. And we, the group was called deuces wild so that's right that's it so a lot of people have it on their cassettes because that's you know if you press the button at nine o'clock that was the first thing that he that he played you know, that was you the go. first song i ever was on that was on the radio first time first everything for us so what so what do you think about that i mean here we are i mean all these years later you right. still got and people still that know it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like a promo, too, which is crazy, right? Yeah, it was just it was an introduction to his radio show. And, you know, he told us, all right, we was bugging him all the time. We wanted to make a record. So he said, let me see how y'all sound out there. So we made the little boy, Mark the 45 Kingdom to beat. Right. And I had just met Flex maybe three days before that. And I met him, but I, he had just started working with us maybe three days prior to recording that. Wow. And we went in there, and he did the scratching, and, and 45 late, King Mark laid down the beat, and um, that was it. Chuck loved it, and he started to play it a lot. I mean, it didn't do anything for us as far as career-wise. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, right. It blew us up. It, it didn't do anything for us. It right, right. satisfy our egos at the time that we actually made something. That, at least somebody said you guys can rap a little bit, you right. know. Right. But but I but I got to tell you, man, I mean, in all sincerity, that's one of those tracks that I'll be around people that came up at that time. Mm-hmm. And we know we know that song. We talk about that song and it's almost like this. I don't know, almost like a like a mythical track. Yeah, maybe they get you paid, but it definitely got you like ingrained yeah, you know, like in history. I said, most people don't even know that that was me or anything. They don't know what right. happened to those guys. They don't even know that was like like most people have no clue. Right. No idea. So it's, it's it's dope that you you know you, you got your feet in it. You really really hip hop dude. If you, no if you know that. 
So let's talk about the the next. If you don't mind, I want to kind of start at the beginning and come up to, to present time because I think you have an amazing story and also, I mean, really embedded in, in, in the history of hip hop. Not only clearly are you from the mecca of hip hop, the birthplace of hip hop, but even early on, as we just described, you you know, you were really and the on the inside, I mean, some of the most iconic or two of the most iconic radio DJs. That area I lived in was there's a lot of talent from there. Pumpkin, the king of the beat, who did love rap. He played it on the drums, right? But he did all the yep. early beats, all of the Treacherous Three Heartbeat, all indeed, of that indeed, stuff. He, indeed, he played that stuff live. He lives right down the block from my friend Tito, and Chuck Chillout lives next door to my friend Tito. Vincent from Vince Entertainment lived around the corner. I don't know, yeah, Vince. So a, yeah, you know, Cool Chip lived two blocks away. So yep. that little northeast, North Bronx, Bronxwood Avenue area. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of guys who went on to do some successful things, you know. When Indeed. Scratch on Galaxy was part of our team, he went on to become the DJ for Jekyll and Hyde. That's so right. I've been here for a very, very long time. I mean, DLB taught me how to count bars from nice. Taylor's four. I was a little kid, and uh, Pumpkin took me to his house. So I, I'm definitely am super aware of everything and watched it all happen from nothing. I remember when I discovered hip-hop, dudes didn't even rhyme. or That's Everyone right. would say the same rhyme. You would hear one MC in every part saying the same rhyme and nobody really cared. It wasn't until Melly Mel and Casanova Fly, who became Grandmaster mm-hmm. Cast, and, you know, Kumo, then guys like that started really rapping, and it's like, you got to write your own raps, you know what I mean? So I watched all that happen, and I watched it go from that to records, to records, to this, to that, to, to where we are now. So, you know, I'm definitely, I'm penning a book as we speak. I got a lot to say, you know. Very nice. A lot of things I've seen that people might not be aware of, and if it leads up to now, I think it makes the story even better. No question about that. And I remember those records of entertainment records. I was one of those kids that was probably harassing Vince about trying to get a record deal. <laughs> right, right. Everybody, he lived right down the block. Yeah. Once he got Keith Sweat, he was gone. Yeah, that's right. Ain't see him no more. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what, what kind of got you to the point where you got signed in the early 90s. You, you did the record with... Flex, which was a six million ways to die, which was a killer track, and I think that was what nervous wreck. It was Flex's record. He had a, it was supposed to just be an instrumental, mm-hmm. but my style and voice had began began to develop. And you know, I was with him one night, and I forget where we were going. He said, "Yo, I'm going to D and D," and he said, "I want you to hear this beat." And he put the beat on, and he's like, "Yo, can you spit to this?" Cause, no, not spit, whatever the word was. Right, right, right. To this. Right. So I said, yeah, 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 definitely. He's like, yo, the way your voice sound now, the way you come, I think it would be dope. Let's try it. And it's actually me, Tragedy, uh, Gaddafi. Uh-huh. And Intelligent Hoodlum. Intelligent Hoodlum, yeah, he was a friend of mine, but he was there. Uh-huh. And I did a verse, and then he did a verse, and I did another verse. And Flex took it to Nervous Records, said he wanted to put it out, and they went crazy. They, they fell in love, and they asked him to take Tragedy off the song. Wow. Salute, Trag, you know you're yeah, my man, but no they question. asked I guess they, you know, they were just enamored by my voice because right. they had never heard anything sound like that before. Mm-hmm. So they asked me to do a second verse. I did the second verse, and then we shot a video. But I was never signed to that label or right. anything. That was like a mercenary move, just little projects that Flex was throwing around. And you were, I mean, you, you know, were the star of that record. I mean, on the video, it was really, I mean, Flex clearly was in it, but it was really you were the one right. that, you know, that were featured. But see, like a lot, what a lot of people don't know is like me and, and Flex were like more than just like acquaintances. Like we hung out every day almost during the time we were trying to come up. <clears throat> so we had that Eric B and Rakim dream. Right. And I think that dream was satisfied with that song. That's why we never worked together again. Wow. You know, 
we still cool, but I mean, that was like it. Something you talk about with your man, your kids riding around, like, yo, we gonna make a record, we gonna do a video. And it was Six Million Ways to Die came. I think he felt the nostalgia reason to do it. And he saw me developing and was like, yo, let's go for it. So, you know, we, we tried to record some more together and shop for a record deal, but, you know, our things started going in different directions for us. So, right. you know, I had, um, I decided to, you know, just do my thing. And then I came up with the What You Want song, and I got a deal with um, Profile right after, maybe two years after Six Million Ways. And so talk to me a little bit about, that was with Corey, right? No, Corey was gone by then. Oh, he was. So talk to me about your decision to sign to Profile, because obviously at that time you had labels like Tommy Boy, clearly Def Jam, and I, I think Next Plateau mm-hmm. was still in the mix, Jive was in the mix. What this was... answer is going to shock you, but it's a very easy answer. Profile was the only label that was not afraid to work with me after I left Flex. Wow. A lot of labels were apprehensive, you might say, because they were introduced to me by Flex. Like, we went, we had a deal with Loud on the table. There was a lot of other offers, but it wasn't happening fast enough for me. Right. And then when me, when I decided to part ways, all of these people showed me that they weren't really interested in dealing with Flex's rapper. And I was like, I'm not Flex's rapper. Like, mm. he's my DJ. I brought him in this fucking game. You right. know what I mean? Right. So, but at that time, he's on the radio. He's popular. So nobody wants to step on his toes. They're like, let me talk to him first, because, you know, if you put me out or sign me, after he introduced it, it could become a problem between them. And they didn't want him not playing their other artists' records and stuff. Right, indeed. So, so a lot so of labels politics, just died away. It was politics. Profile, profile didn't give two shits. They didn't care. They heard right. the record. They right. heard me. They, they thought I was something new. It was different. And, and you know, they, they were ready to go. So, you know, I, I had to take the opportunity. Mind you, we had been trying to do this for quite some time. That... The Deuces thing you brought up came out in 1986. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I didn't get signed until 1994. So you just imagine, like, that's 10 years of of trying. Right. So, you know, when something is presented to you, at, at some point you just, it was the worst deal I ever could imagine. But like I said, I was young, I was hungry, mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did it because it led me to, you know, I wouldn't change my story. Indeed. I mean, but Profile in many ways was that quintessential Hip-hop, I mean, in many ways, it was almost a singles label. I mean, they had albums, but it was it almost felt like a singles label. But clearly, everything from Run DMC to Rob Bass. Those, those were the Corey Robbins years. Right, I got you, I got you. Once Corey left, you got my album came out, Smooth the Hustlers album came out, and Camp Lowe's that. album, and a special ed album. They only put out four albums, and, and then my second album came out. So that's four or five albums in like three years. They wow. weren't really invested in the music anymore. What happened was they decided to sell their label roster and mm-hmm. everything to Arista. Records. I remember that. So I went, you know, but we got caught up in this legal battle that mm-hmm. they were dealing with for over four to almost five years. The sale was toward the end of the 90s, though, right? Yeah, it was at the end of the 90s. Right. So they started saying they were selling it in the end of 97. Right, right. And it, it didn't go through until 2001, so right. I wasn't free. But and by the time we went to Arista, the people who were interested in me, Camp mm-hmm. Lowe, Smooth Hustler, mm-hmm. whoever else was on profile at the time, they no longer even was employed at Arista. Right. So they had no idea who we were, what we were talking about. So they gave me a little demo deal. I turned mm-hmm. in a couple songs to them. They told me I sounded like DMX, and that was the end. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's a whole different story. So your records at that time, Nine Lives, and obviously the, the singles that came from those two albums were in many ways, you know, authentic hip hop hits. What was it like during that right. time frame on, on the label? 
Well, the problem is that they were not a good label. If they were a good label or were invested in the artist, what you want should have been a gold record. Mm -hmm. If I would have been on any other label, a Jive or anywhere else, Arista or, you know, Bad Boy, anywhere, I believe that album would have been able to go gold because we sold 369,000 copies. Wow. And, you know, and there's no reason you can't push it. A good label would have bought the 130 that was missing mm -hmm. just to get it certified. Right, right. You understand? There's a lot of things that go on. I wasn't, I wasn't given any of that type of backing or anything. So right. just the fact that the music stayed long enough where people still will remember remembered me and made this transition to the new me a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why I say I'm not, you know, upset about anything that happened. I'm just, I'm just stating facts. Like this is just how it was at that time. You Indeed, know? we weren't good. We weren't good businessmen. I was a kid. You know, like I said, mm -hmm. that hunger and desire to be a part of something right. will make you make a lot of mistakes and of things. Course. And, you know, it's just a part of life. It, it should happen. Were you touring at that time? Oh, I was doing shows. I was touring. I went to England, Germany. I was doing shows when you know, what you want was out touring. I was, you know, all over the place. Everything was great, but all that once again. The label did not help me with any of that. Mm -hmm. You know, we the strength of what you want did it for itself. You right. Know, that record and we had to work that record so hard to get it accepted. But once B E T got a hold of it mm -hmm. and it went number one, then it's like from Tuesday to Thursday, I was a whole brand new person. You know, your life just everything just went into fast forward mode. That's how it was back then. If you got a record on the radio or B E T on the countdown, you were good. What would you say was the biggest opportunity that you got from that particular era? Madonna sampled me and mm. <laughs> paid me. That's big. <laughs> that was big. Um, you know, Portishead remixed my song. Well, I ended up becoming a great fan of them. They were like one of my favorite bands. And, you know, a lot of little doors opened. I ended up, I did a TV show, ended up mm -hmm. on. So, you know, a lot of people can say they didn't even make it that far. I know right. so many artists and so many rappers and of so course. many DJs and so many producers who were mm -hmm. so good, but they sat in their living room and they're still in their living room and right. it never happened. So right. you take what happens for you and if you have the desire or the wherewithal to continue, then you will. And that's what I'm showing people with this project. Share a gem from, from what you learned at that time in your career. What was your biggest takeaway? Trust no one. Mm. <laughs> I hate to say it. That's the biggest thing you learn. You also learn that they're not your friends. You know, there's a time I used to make jokes about it. Now I can laugh about it. But there was a time where I'd be downstairs on my way upstairs to the profile offices. And when I got upstairs, they'd say, hey, no, nah, everybody was, no, 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 come here, come here. Oh, now we got some shrimp. Now we got, you know, it was crazy. You got mm -hmm. a bottle for you all. Take a picture. Come sit in my office. Uh. And then there was a time when things weren't going so great. But by the time the second album was coming out, they didn't really believe in the album. They were a little mm -hmm. upset that I didn't follow the same format that I did before. Mm -hmm. And everything changed. Like people who you think are your friends are right. no longer, you know, you walk up, knock on their office door, and they're like, I'm on the phone, give me a second. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a whole, it's a different atmosphere. So it teaches you that you, you can be fooled when you're young into believing people are your friends. And they're not. So I took that away from it. it. It all makes you stronger. Everything you go through makes you stronger. And I don't think it's just in the music business. I think anything in life, success attracts friends. Let me ask you a question. Was Andre Harrell your manager? At one point, yep, he was. Wow. He, um, the group, Deuce as well, me and um, Tio and Flex. But before I met Flex, Andre Harrell was... Um, was our manager. Oh, so that was around the Scratch on Galaxy time? Yeah, Scratch on Galaxy was my right. DJ and my mm -hmm. little rap group in my neighborhood. Got it. Once he did the record um, Pumpkin and the All-Stars, mm -hmm. they heard him scratch. 
Mm-hmm. And then he came to me and said, well, Jekyll and Hyde want me to be their DJ. Mm-hmm. And I said, yo, do it, man. I'm not going to hold you back, man. Do it. It's a good look for you. It's a great opportunity, so you need to do it. So he did it. Mm-hmm. And then he kept telling Andre Harrell, I got this dude. He can rap. He can rap. He can write. My main thing mm-hmm. I was doing, like, I could write. At that, you know, I've always been able to write. Mm-hmm. You know, even before my voice developed, they would all you, you know, have a great voice, but you can write. Which is ironic that my voice became my biggest attribute. But during that time, I still hadn't reached puberty, really, with my voice. So wow. Andre Harrell came by, and I worked on a song with them called Yellow Panties on the album. I was mm-hmm. 15 years old. I'm I'm sitting right right next to the 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 album where they're both sitting on with suits and that was the only album I think right, they did right, on the right. front yeah and I kind of helped him with that with, you know Alonzo came by and I did this rap for him he he loved the rhythm of the rap and everything so he said hey we're gonna use this I'm, I'm gonna take this and put it on so then they introduced me to Andre and he liked me and and everything so he um when he was doing Uptown Records I think me we were a little too hardcore for his vision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had become harder over the years. Right. So, you know, Deuce as well was more like a jail version of Public Enemy. Like, mm-hmm. we were angry. Our mm-hmm. music was a little more aggressive. So, right. he went with Heavy D and the boys. And But he always kept in touch. He gave me another shot. I came down. It just didn't work out. But Andre's a good dude, man. He taught me a lot, too. He awesome. taught me a lot of things just by allowing me to be places that I have these memories. Like, I was at the Crush Group concert. Wow. Backstage. Wow. You know, I was backstage with LL Cool J, New Edition, Run DMC, and I'm just standing Beastie there. Boys. Like, Whoa. You know, it was the craziest night of my, you know, it was amazing. And, and, you know, so I thank all of them for just me being able to always be in these places. It never benefited me musically, though, but it always benefited me personally or my love for the culture. Always got satisfied being around, you know, some of these people. That is hip hop history. Everything you just said right there. You you just you just mentioned your voice. I mean, clearly you have a very distinctive voice, and your right. your um, delivery is you know I think iconic. And and I, I think we both know that as you mentioned that there was another artist that came to the scene. What what was it like when you when you started to hear what you mentioned? Like people were saying, "Oh, well, you sound well, yeah." No, no. When when it, when it first happened. People was coming up to me. Right. Actually, this girl I knew called me on the phone one day. She said, hey, congratulations. I like the new record. She wow. said, but why are you barking? Why are you making that sound? I said, what are you talking about? Wow. And she said, your new record, Get the Dog. She, you know, she was a square type. She, she kept mm-hmm. going, it's called Get the Dog. I said, I ain't make no fucking record called Get the Dog. <laughs> she was talking about Get At Me, Dog. Right, right. My dear, right. So I, when I heard it, I said, ah, you know, I heard of him before. Right, he was on Mike Geronimo's album, and yeah. that's why I tell people all the time: you can really listen to him and Ja Rule at that time, mm-hmm. and they didn't sound like that. You know what I mean? I think he has the same attributes mm-hmm. in his vocal cords that I have, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I believe that he heard me. He, right. he freestyled off NEMC before, so mm-hmm. it's no, it's not like he didn't know who I was. Right. And I, he probably said, hey, "I could do that too," and you know he. Went in and you know he put his little thing to it and at first it didn't it didn't bother me that he was doing that mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like we were the same right right you know, in the way we approached things but the people were driving me crazy in the street everywhere mm. I went oh they they make so your style it got to the point where I used to be out with my wife and go to IKEA or something and I used to tell people no he's like you nine I used to say no wow just because I didn't want to hear his name come out their mouth right after they said something. So it was right. a horrible time. Right, right. I'm not even going to lie to people. It was horrible because I was still out here, grassroots in the streets. 
He didn't go through it. He didn't right, hear right. none of the crap that I had to hear and deal with him. Right. You know, it wasn't a good time for me. My career was stagnant. I couldn't even mm-hmm. fight back. I think that speaks a lot to the 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 label because obviously with Def Jam, you know, I mean, they, they knew what they were doing. Oh, plus, you know, he had something that I didn't have. He had the pure image and uh, of the still like you know one thing I tell people about DMX what I like about him because right. I actually like DMX I, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy his music mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a there's an Earl Simmons in every hood in America and it resonates with people it resonated with me he reminded me of mad people I came up mm-hmm. with knowing so it wasn't no like oh he's biting me he's doing this I mean if he was if he wasn't you know right. whatever you know people might say you know I make little comments and quotes but that's not towards him it's for, it's for them right indeed. So they can tell me, well, of course I'm aware of it. Like, if you're going to tell me you heard it, I've, I heard the similarities, and mm-hmm. then I heard it again with Ja Rule. Mm-hmm. I've, heard it in a, I've heard it in quite a few other artists at, at some point in time, mm-hmm. like, trying to, but that's what hip-hop is. You know, Dr. Sex was the first to go diggity-diggity. Yeah. And that, remember, there was a time when 8 million people was rapping like that. And they heard them. So that's, that's hip-hop, too. So, so talk to me a little bit about what was next. So, I mean, that seems like a pretty low point that you came from these big records in in hip hop. You got a lot of recognition. You got a lot of recognition. Yeah. Then, then, then what? What was what? What were you doing? What was your 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 mind state? And and how did you bring yourself back it to to okay. make music I did again? Some, I did some. It was hard. I did some ghostwriting. Mm-hmm. They helped get me through. I did some production because I used to, you know, deal with the beats. So I knew how to put it together. I'm more mm-hmm. like a, a Sean Combs producer. Mm-hmm. Like I'll sit there and tell you, you know, put that there. No, put this here. Put that there. You know, I did a few commercials for Flex. Mm. The Lux commercials. We did the beats for them. I got paid nice. You know, I had um, my publishing, of course. I still I had my publishing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, other than that, I, it was a really hard time. I was depressed most of the time. I just was... You know, I wasn't ready for that part of it to happen so soon. Like, it always got to end. Everybody knows everything right. you do, there's an end to mm-hmm. it. But, you know, once you op- when you're a kid, you don't see an end. Or when mm-hmm. you're young, I was still only like 28 at the time. So, you know, when you look back at things, you know, now you see that how you're supposed to handle stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was a hard time. I was in a relationship. I was going through a lot of things in my life at that time. So music was the last thing on my mind was mm-hmm. Arista told me they weren't interested and they was going to give me a release and, you know, they gave me some money. Mm-hmm. I sat for a while and then, you know, the beautiful thing happened. I moved to, I got some property in Harlem, mm. a couple of apartments, and I moved into one of them. And I had never lived in Harlem before. And this was around 2005. I moved there, mm-hmm. before, 2004, 2005. And it changed my life. It changed me. It just woke me up. I don't know. Something about Harlem was so beautiful to me to be in that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Harlem is flying. It's about going out, hustling, and doing your thing. So I basically just started again. I started to get back into it and, and feel like I wanted to do it again. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it has to come from the love. It also has to come from the struggle in order for you to be successful. It can right. never come from desperation. Mm-hmm. If you're desperate, you'll never get anything you want. If you're desperate to pass the bar, you're not going to pass the bar. Right. You got to be prepared for the bar. You got to be prepared for any business you're in, not desperate. So once I stopped feeling desperate, I said, I'm going to just do it again. And, you know, things just started to build slowly. Mm-hmm. And I released an album overseas called called Quinine in 2009. And what label was and that was on? Like, uh, Smoke on Records. This guy contacted me through MySpace. Mm. 
And he was like, you man, I got 50 cases, man. What you want? You want to do something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a big fan. We had some right. I said, all right, let's go. Nice. <laughs> give me that check, and I'll, I'll give you an album. So I okay. gave him 12 songs. You know, we put that out. And then I started to just move around again. But that's during the time when now the music that I did before was becoming nostalgic to people. So mm-hmm. I was getting shows again. Around 2012, 2013, Started nice. getting books, started getting shows again to do the old stuff. And then I started to fall in love with traveling and being on the stage again. So I said, yeah, I'm going to get real, real serious in a minute. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put this together the right way. You know, and, and that's where we are now. Talk, talk to me, if you don't mind, a little bit about those those shows back in, in 2012, 2013 overseas. I mean, I think there's this this commonality that I hear with uh, artists that kind of came up in, in the more iconic or golden era of hip hop, where they go to these countries in Europe and people appreciate music. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. Europeans always appreciate the authentic version of black culture Mm -hmm. more than the watered down commercial versions of it. Right. I think that speaks in jazz music and everything that they appreciate. They appreciate the rawness of, of you know, the authenticity, authenticity mm-hmm, mm-hmm, of it. So, you know, they, they're into lyrics. They're into beats and boom bap. They're right. into drums. They, 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 you know, to me, the only thing different between now, hip-hop today, and, and well, I don't call what's going on in hip-hop. The music that they do now and the, and the hip-hop we did is they removed Africa. Once you take the drums out, once mm-hmm. you took, we lost it all. Mm-hmm. That the whole feeling is gone now. Now it's this technical, crazy sound I can't even get into. But I think you know that that's what made hip hop so popular and brought people together. We were speaking with them drums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a communication thing going on between the listener, not just the lyrics, but the way you spoke on those drums. You know, and I think they appreciate that so much over there which is why that market opened up for a lot of guys, uh, right. you know, traveling over there. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even over there as much mm. as, you know, I had passport issues. So I was doing shows here. Mm. Like we were, but there's always a spot. Like I tell people all the time, there's always somewhere where they're doing something. There was a lot of artists on the bill. It was never no, you know, just you again right, right. by yourself. You know, it's you mm-hmm. and this guy and this guy and this guy is telling y'all, you mm-hmm. know, they, they fly you in and do these big, these little shows and stuff. So it wasn't as frequent as, as it, as it used to be, but it started to open up. So I started to see, you know, a revolution of that hip hop. Cause mm-hmm. as, as I was getting older, the fans of that were getting older. So they want something fresh. They want something new, but they just don't want it to sound old. They don't want you to talk old. Right. You know, that means you got to step your craft up when you spit, you got to be spitting the way you're supposed to spit now. Mm-hmm. Not like these kids are spitting what you should have developed into. And right. being that I never really put the pen down, I was able to make that transition into what I'm, supposed to be now as a right. 49-year-old man. The adult hip-hop fans, it seems like there's not as many of us as there should be, considering that we grew up on this sound, and you talk to a lot of people that are our, our age, and they don't it seem like they're out of touch with hip-hop. It's almost like something they did when they were young. Right, well, a 9 to 5, a couple kids, a failed marriage will do that to you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It all depends on how that person was living. You know, I right. never got old because of hip-hop. You right. know, I never got into that that phase, but I know a few guys that are like that, that I grew up with that was hip-hop heads. But, you know, one of them's, one of them's a train conductor, 
Right. You know, another one works, and, and, you know, they work and they come home and they got kids that are teenagers and they're not into it. They ain't got time to listen to nothing. And if they do listen, they just listen to the old stuff they used to listen right. to. Right. Someone has come back from that time period and said, hey, remember how this used to make you feel? Well, I'm going to make you feel that way again, but brand new. Indeed. Indeed. And that's something about your music. I mean, your current music with the Snow Goons in many ways is that classic boom back sound. I'm not saying that it sounds old. I'm saying that it sounds right. like quality. We, we upgraded it. We right. upgraded to what, what was, to what was, should become. Right. We didn't try to say, we're going to mix in what we do with what these kids do. No, I don't like what these kids do, so I'm not going to ever try to do that. So what we did was imagine the evolution of our own music right. the way it should have been done. We could learn things from right. the younger music, like change-ups. And if you notice, I don't have verse, hook, right. verse, hook, verse, but the format had to change. Right. Some songs I don't even have a hook. I just said the word one time, and, uh-huh. and that's the name of the song. Like, right. So I just changed up my approach. I didn't. I wasn't stuck with the standard that they were trying to tell us that we used to do. So uh-huh. I think me adapting those new methods that we came up with on our own. Right. You know, it's just something right. that I've grown into. I didn't force it. I didn't. I didn't try to manipulate it or make it happen. I just um. I just allowed it to happen. You use the word evolution. I think you know what I find a little troubling is that, and I and I say this a lot. If you think back. During the real golden era of hip hop, you know, the at least recorded hip hop, the the 80s with these groups that were doing amazing things. I mean, we could list them off people like Mantronics. And obviously, you know, in the beginning, you had, you know, uh, Soul Sonic Force and then P.E. and Slick Break. And there was so much of that evolution and, and lyricism and storytelling and distinct perspectives. And, and it seems right. like it, it kind of got muddled. I mean, I kind of blame, to be honest with you. The 90s for that, we had a lot of classic music in the 90s, but it seemed like at some point toward the latter 90s, everything started to have that same thugged out. Not that there's anything wrong with that sound. We needed what happened to hip hop that it became so. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. They started letting hustlers run record labels. Mm. And a hustler is going to sell the product that he knows is going to work. He's not in it for the art, he's not in it because he loves musicians or music right, he's right. in it to make a dollar right so being that he's in it to make a dollar he's going to say well these guys sold like that so you do the same thing and right you end up with a bunch of music that starts to sound the same and that's what happened toward the end of the 90s right 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 and do you think that a lot of the 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 personas and again it's not about one artist and there was so much amazing music but do you think a lot of the personas that started to come out and and even become so prevalent during that time, being the thugged out, for lack of a better word, like drug deal rappers, do you feel that in many ways right. that poisoned the well for the new era that we're seeing now, that in many ways they're not really drug dealing gangsters. In many ways, they're almost like junkies, some of them. Yeah, no, it's the opposite. I mean, you know, when, when hip-hop in the 80s, they told you, don't do drugs. Right. Hip-hop in the 90s told you, well, you know, we're telling our story. Some of us, we had to sell drugs. I'm okay. not going to knock nobody because I used to be out there hustling too in the streets. So, you know, you got, you know, that product, when crack came and hit the urban areas in such a way, so you was either going to be a participant getting money or a participant getting high. So a lot of guys have that story to tell, that they sold drugs, so they're right. telling their story. What's going on now is a, is a result of social engineering. Okay. has nothing to do with hip-hop. Okay. This social engineering is what's going on. There's a reason why these type of records are being promoted. There's a reason why these stations are playing a song they call Papa Perk. 
Like, uh-huh. why would you do that? Like, what, what? you have to have a hidden agenda. There's nothing cool about somebody telling someone to get high. Right. But obviously there's an agenda, you know, about it. Big mm-hmm. pharmaceutical, mm-hmm. government, they're all a part of it. The best way to control people is through music, and they discovered how powerful hip-hop was. Mm-hmm. First, when Chuck D made it uncool to wear gold chains, he had us all wearing strings with, you remember, with the leathers, mm-hmm. Africa patch. Mm-hmm. And no one laughed at you if you had that on. No question. So that was power. He removed the image of jewelry from people. And then when mm-hmm. Jay-Z said, don't put no more no more um, throwback jerseys. I'm, I'm into button-ups. I'm fully grown. Michelin Nest stock dropped 70%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the powers that be, the corporations, they saw the power that this music had to influence business and sway popular opinion. Mm-hmm. So... They're using it now to our detriment. I don't think it just started in, in, in current era. I mean, I think in general, labels didn't necessarily always put out the most conducive music to upward mobility. In, in you, you see, they do the that's exactly what you said. They do the opposite. Mm-hmm. When NWA comes out and says, fuck the police, and you get an uproar, everyone across the nation, ban them, Ice-T makes cop killer, oh, he mm-hmm. should be banned and fired and... All of this shit, right, that they did to us when we were trying to voice ourselves so, and the things that we were talking about are happening now to the point where they don't they allow what's going on now without bleaking an eye. Mm-hmm. Because not just black kids anymore. You got your little pump and your little Xanax and your little whatever. You should be able to make whatever kind of records you want to make. But right. if you do that, you should not be given platforms that affect children because I don't care what any of us say. I used to say this, too, as mm-hmm. an excuse. Mm-hmm. That my music is, I'm not your parent. Mm-hmm. I just make music and right. I'm not, it shouldn't affect, affect you or influence you. Right. But I know damn well now that the things I'm saying on here is going to affect someone because I got love for some of the things I've said where people say, yo, that got me through. Mm-hmm. That record, make a take that you made, man, it helped me during a bad time in my life. Or, you know what I mean? So I know if it could affect you good, then I could, I could also affect you in a bad way. That's right. I could make records telling you to, you know, gang bang and let's shoot up this club and mm-hmm. kill everybody. And mm-hmm. Some kids are going to listen to that and think, yo, I want to be like him. That's cool. That's how I'm, I'm getting down. Because they hear this mm-hmm. every day in their mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. So people are going to pick it up. So if you're telling people to get high, get high, get high every record, I want to get high, pop a pill, pop a molly, pop a pop, and they're going to get high. It's not rocket science. So right. We have to ask ourselves as a community, mm-hmm. I think as black people mm-hmm. or even the community that you live in, do we are we going to continue to allow these radio stations to play this type of stuff. I mean, the internet is there. You can't do nothing indeed, about that. Your kid, your kid wants to hear something, he's going to find it. But at least right. it doesn't have to get thrown in the face of seven-year-olds that don't know how to work the internet, but right. they listen to Hot 97. Right. I, I hear you. I, I just wonder, will we ever get back to a point where hip-hop will be what, and, and this is this sounds almost, I think, unrealistic, but will we ever get back to the point where hip-hop was back when it started, meaning it was a movement of empowerment? I think what we got to do is what I'm trying to do, what, what I'm doing is not necessarily take hip-hop back to what it was, but to make a space for hip-hop that was to exist and this climate and mm-hmm. coexist alongside this other stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's what we should be focused on. Like we have to, like you said, there's enough of us. We got to get those guys up off their couch. Mm-hmm. We got to get those guys up that work all day. We got to get them back involved and be like, yo, this is the music. Let's, and they got to purchase it and support it. 
and, and follow you on Instagram so you can have numbers that look like mm-hmm. their numbers. And mm-hmm. if we support these artists to support the culture, you're not just supporting me by supporting my records or mine, you're supporting the culture. Correct. And you're giving us a fighting chance to fight back because then, like I said, corporations is all about money. Mm-hmm. So if they sit there and they watch it, hey, this dude is doing just as well with this positive rap. Next thing you know, they sign another positive rapper. Right. He does good. Well, you don't got to be positive. You just got to, you know, an artist. They just start signing various things as opposed to them signing the first kid who knows how to use auto tour on his block. Because mm-hmm. that's what they're signing. They're signing guys who they have no voice of their own. These guys are using machines to sing through. It's ridiculous. I can't believe what I'm seeing happen. But we got to get that support back. You know, otherwise, you know, artists like me are going to have minimum success in America and I'm just going to take my talents overseas and get rich. Like, that's what we're doing. Right. We're going over there and we're giving them the quality mm-hmm. music and the culture that we should be able to. I'm not saying kids should not be allowed to look. Man, I'm not knocking kids because I don't want people to want well, an old guy, you know. Of course. I shouldn't be I shouldn't be listening to 20-year-olds anyway. No question. I don't want nothing to do with a 20-year-old unless his last name is the same as mine. And right, I'm his right. father. So, <laughs> other than that, I don't want, I don't talk to 20-year-olds. I don't live in the hood. That's not my life. Right, right. I have no business dealing with 20-year-olds in any form of fashion. So I don't right. listen to their music. I'm not judging their music. When right. I was 20, I didn't want to hear nothing a 49-year-old had to say. Right, true. So I understand. I understand where they're, where they're coming from. I'm right. trying to make them aware that they're in danger. They have been targeted to destroy themselves right. with a false illusion of money and wealth that they do not have. Mm-hmm. These guys signed 360 deals. That's why every time one of these little rappers come out, it looked like he made it already. Because they gave you all the money up front. Now they're going to work you like a dog. And they're going to keep most of your profits. They're being targeted. So anything I say is, is more like an advice to them. Like, of course. You know, I... I'm not trying to tell you what kind of records to make. And, you know, I don't have to tell you you can't really rap. I mean, you can't really rap. Right. That's not what you want to do. You don't <laughs> That's not what rap. they're trying to you do, wanna, right. Indeed. You're not trying to rap. And you ask any of them, they'll tell you, well, I ain't no rapper. Indeed. I ain't lyrical. I, but they say it like it's a bad thing exactly. to be, like not being lyrical. Right. When you say you're not lyrical, you're really saying you're not intelligent. That, that's what I take that as. When a person goes, well, that's that lyrical. Right. You, right. Are you stupid? You're not intelligent then. And you, you're fine with not being intelligent. And that's the scary part. It's in, it's it's an interesting time. That's that's definitely for sure. Very, very. And it's it's. Um, I think I uh, what was it? I think yesterday I posted something on Twitter and I said something like, "Rap is out of control." Thank God we still have hip hop. Yeah, because it is basically two different things at this point. <laughs> uh-huh. Indeed. <laughs> you know, it's two different things, and I think that our gripe will go away if they stop calling what these kids do hip hop. True. Just call it something else. Hip hop fusion. Or melody rap or something. Right, right. They just call it anything, but it's not hip hop. Hip hop is a culture with rules and regulations. Speaking of that, here we are in in, in 2018, and you got an album coming out with these guys. It's out already. It came yeah, out September right, right. The, the September, and we covered it. By the way, it's it's on Insomniac. But we got oh, you got yeah. this album with these these I'm assuming younger guys from Germany. Talk to me a little bit about how, and I know the Snow Goon's been doing that thing, but talk to me a little bit about how that came together. Right, well, they're, they're not too much younger than I am. Okay. They're, they're in their 40s. It's, it's <laughs> okay, so okay. What happened, they, they had contacted me years ago, I think around 2012 or 11, and I think around the time they had just did the MOP album or whatever, and they found me and was like, hey, you know, we called me Snow. I didn't know who they were. I, uh-huh. I wasn't interested. Ain't, ain't nobody talking numbers. They ain't got no money. I was like, I didn't care. And I wasn't 
into the internet, so I didn't know too much about so I, I declined it. They called me back in January seventh and January twenty seventeen, they got in touch with me again. And he said, Hey, I'm full of still you I said, Yeah, yeah, you know, by now I've seen them doing their thing. I was you know, I, I respected what they was doing. Right. And he asked me to be on a song called The Nineties of That. Uh-huh. It had a uh, Drez on it. It was a song on there, Bringing Back the Nineties, uh-huh. on the album Goombap. They uh-huh. were putting out an album. And they had Drez and Sticky Fingers and Rock Cops on. So I ain't never rapped with none of these guys. Right. They said, cool, I'll do, the, I'll do the verse. Right. So I did the verse, sent it back to them. They put out the song. When the song hit YouTube, like the whole comment was basically was like, nine, 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 nine. Right. Oh my God, Snow Goons, you found nine, you found nine. And I said, he said, go look at that. So I looked. And he said, listen, man, people think, you know, we got a chemistry here, and which turned out to be the greatest marriage ever. But at the time, I'm still not seeing it. I'm like, all right, well, let's do a few songs and see what happens. Right. Within three months, it was like, we doing an album. Wow. <laughs> you know, we started to get to know each other. So we recorded The Revenant, the song The Revenant yeah. in May, May 2017. And I think I did pull up the same. That, uh-huh. that was the only two songs we did that I wanted to keep because we did about six, seven records. We were getting to know each other. Uh-huh. So when they flew up here, they flew up here to do the video for The Revenant in November, shooting a video for every song on the album. That's so awesome. I got two more to shoot next week. We just put out I Am last week. So we got four out. So I got nine to go. Now, I got to tell you, man, that 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 track, I Am, I got to be honest, man, gave me goosebumps because not only was it a tribute to authentic hip-hop, it was clearly also a tribute to the fallen in hip-hop. Yeah. But even beyond that, for me to hear some of the names that I never hear yeah, on I rap needed, records. I needed those people to be acknowledged as well as the big stars. Like, yeah, right. see Trouble. You said Larry, Larry Smith, Smith, man. <laughs> yeah, man, love AJ Scratch. Yeah, Buffy. Buffy the Human V-Box. I mean, I didn't forget. I mean, we, we we actually, I had to start pulling up. I had to have my partner. She was pulling up names that they used to this week. As we got towards the end, so I could just remember everybody. Yeah, I know. Then I had to go back in because the song was finished, and then Craig Mack passed away. Wow. Like two days after. Wow. And then Shot Skills died. And then I was like, oh man, these are brothers I know. Big cows. And I forgot him. So I said, we're going to go back. And I, I waited till the last possible minute and I recorded those last names at the end. Right. And the two days later, XXX Tentacion got Wow. There. So I was like, I'm never going to finish this record. So I got to just crazy. go with what I got. I right. can't say everybody because they're dying, like, you know. I know. At an alarming rate. And I just wanted to give tribute to everybody that's. I feel like if you ever was a part of hip hop, we share a kindred spirit. If you worship it, whether it's through journalism, making beats, graffiti, breakdancing, there's a kindred energy that we share. We oh, we get a different type of joy out of hip hop than your average consumer does, which is why we wanted to be involved in it. So and, I think we all share that. Mm-hmm. So even if I don't really like your music, I, I didn't care. It was like right. we shared something if you did this. So guys like Bankroll Fresh, I made sure I was aware yeah. of them. Fred right. Joe Santana. I'm not familiar with their music that right. much, but I knew that they were part of this culture. No question. You know, that we um, that we hold so dear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that I definitely represented them because there's who else is going to do it? The album is clearly, it's uh, uh, amazing, and it's straight-up authentic hip-hop. you got amazing features. I mean, G-Raps, Move the Hustler, Conway. Yeah, those were all, those were dreams come true to get, um, you know, Cool G-Raps, one of my favorites I grew up on. No question. You know, to be able to rhyme with him 
And then, you know, Smooth the Hustle, we had this relationship already from Make a Take was one of my biggest records. Right. And he was on profile, too. Yeah, he was on the same label. So, yeah. you know, he didn't really rhyme on that record with me. He just did the hooks for me. So uh-huh. a lot of people wanted to hear me and him spit together. Then I'm a big fan of that new guy, Conway the Machine. Yeah, no question. I was a super fan. Like, they gave me a lot of energy when I first heard them come back, <laughs> when they came back out. I loved it. Right. You know, so I, I and I wanted to match with bars with him because he's like the new lion. Yeah. And I wanted to show dudes what I'm made of. Uh huh. So I was like, I'm gonna push myself. I want to rhyme with these guys that are amazing MCs. And then Chris Rivers, you know, yeah, he's a beast. Pops. He's and he's dangerous. Like yeah. And Rusty Jokes is one of my no question. favorite too that I believe is overlooked. Like he gives you that hard groove uh-huh. every single time. So you know, I got Brooklyn, Queens, Bronx. And Buffalo, all over the album. Nice. <laughs> Definitely great to get those guys. But like we had yeah, with the Snow Goose, once we started getting to know each other after we filmed that video, uh, they started hearing other music that I was preparing, that I was working on. And they uh-huh. said, okay, they, they did the updates. And they went home, and when they sent me the next batch of beats, it was basically the entire, uh, the rest of the album. It was right. all in one folder. And I was like, oh, my God, they did it. So they flew wow. up here in February. Cause, I mean, I recorded all my vocals here. And they flew up just to witness it because I had my own engineers and stuff. Mm. So we, we recorded it and they were right. filming us recording it. And he was like, I think we really got something. But the beautiful thing is when I turned in all that music, when they played it back for me, it was completely good. It was 100 times better. Right. Like they added things to it. They did post-production, pre-production. They were post-production. A lot of people don't do post-production. Mm-hmm. Young guys do post-production. Mm-hmm. Their music sounds different. Uh-huh. You can't just give people a sample. You got to break it down like this. Just the method of making music has changed. You don't have to make the same music these kids are making, but the method has to be somewhat what people are listening for. People mm-hmm. don't want records longer than three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Four mm-hmm. minutes stops, unless it's a serious subject matter. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be aware of all of those things. That's the business side of music, the psychology of music. I read a book called The Psychology of Music and studied certain things that I wasn't aware of that mm-hmm. just automatically trigger certain reactions from people. Mm-hmm. I knew my flow was, was nuts now, and my bar game had stepped up so much. I feel like I'm so much better than I was, especially you know, with the pen, and, and, and I was able to change my cadence and update mm-hmm. it to be my own. Mm-hmm. I didn't start using slang that kids use, but I updated my cadence. I right. don't say flip the script. Mm-hmm. You can't say corny old, yeah, yeah. old slang that's not here <laughs> no more. Like, you, you know, I don't talk like that. So that's right. a good thing to stay in touch with the kids. Right. So, you know, I, I, I follow social media, so I do get to see some of this stuff so I know I won't be that old man at the barbecue where someone goes, y'all don't pull a blicky and I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what the blicky is, nigga. <laughs> well, yeah, listen, it's a it's it's a tight record, man. And speaking of that, I just said record, and it's actually you actually have a vinyl record, right? Yeah, yeah, we got vinyl, we have um and CD. People could purchase at www.boomsgear.com. They really knew what they was doing. It was great to partner up with them too. The situation was great for me because I became their partner. Nice. I'm not signed to them. Right. They didn't just produce some rapper. You know, we are complete business partners on this project. And right. it's great to my company, the people I have working with me and their people working together. Right. But they, they're so on top of their business that I'm learning so much. And it's amazing because the internet, it don't matter where you're from. If you know about that's it right. and you know how to use it properly, then you, you can be successful with it. And that's what I'm learning from them. A whole lot about how to 
shuffle through the internet and self-promote. You're doing a lot of shows or what, what, what's no, we on the agenda? No, we haven't even started yet. I'm getting ready to because the album's mm. up for a month. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to let it keep bubbling. I'm, so, I'm doing some freestyles on uh, some major places that's going to mm-hmm. be airing soon. And all these things will attract more attention to us. We're doing more videos. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to start. I might have a big show in New York in the, in the middle of November where we invite all the artists that's been on it and tell people to come down and we're going to party cel- a celebration for the album. Because mm-hmm. I'll be overseas by next February. So I'm putting out a mixtape in December called mm-hmm. You're Welcome. Mm-hmm. That's 20 songs on it. It's going to be nuts, hardcore, mm-hmm. different produ- different type of production, more up to more up younger producers, mm-hmm. but with that street feel that they do now. You right. know? So I was able to really find a balance with you know one guy that I worked with and he, he gave me something that that's, that doesn't it doesn't compromise me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a little more different than you know the boom bap that I did on the right. album. I'm looking forward to seeing you on tour. I'm hoping that you are going to be in a city near me, man. And I want to thank you so much for taking thank time. You for me, man. No question, nine. It's been a pleasure. I wish you much continued success with the King record and everything beyond that, man. Thank you very much, brother. I appreciate you, man. You're very welcome, man. Take care of yourself. All right. God bless. All right. Peace. Peace.